The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. You know, we say it every week, it's so talented group of folks that we have, and I'm going to miss Karen in a few weeks when she heads back to College Charleston. We'll enjoy for the time that she's with us. Before we jump right into the sermon, I want to spend just a moment in prayer for a couple of things. One is a prayer just of need. There are many of you who have different physical ailments and needs, and we pray regularly in different settings for that. But this morning, I want to pray specifically for Mike Morgan. Mike, a longtime member of the church, has been in the hospital for over a week now, had a blockage in his intestine, had to have uh, emergency surgery to correct that, and his body just hasn't responded yet, uh, and so they're waiting uh, patiently and painfully uh, for his body to, as it were, wake up uh, and to uh, start. And so if you would pray for Mike and pray for uh, Jenny, as she is faithfully by his side regularly, and all the kids and grandkids. Uh, Mike truly is, I know Ben, his dad is around, but he's a patriarch in that family. And so when you see the patriarch, the one who's never sick, uh, down, uh, it shakes a family. So would you continue to pray for them and for healing? And the other thing I want us to pray for is this week is our last week, at least for now, our last week with uh, Nelson and Anastasia Fuentes. Uh, where are you guys? Are you all here this morning? There they are back there in the back. Nelson and Anastasia, we've come to love and to know they came into our lives as strangers with Reach Global uh, after Hurricane Matthew and are leaving uh, this week as friends and family uh, to start a new chapter in uh, California where uh, Anastasia will be studying at Fuller Theological Seminary and uh, Nelson will be obviously joining her out there and praying for Green Card uh, to get moving uh, forward on that. Um, But Uh, We have been so thankful for your presence with us, not for what you've done, uh, but for being who you are in our midst. And we love you all and are praying for you as you travel. So before they leave on Thursday, is that right? Friday. Uh, Make sure you say goodbye. Give them a hug. uh, Wish them well on their way and continue to pray for them. But let's go to the Lord in prayer now. Father, we do come and we lift these things before you for healing for Mike uh, in his body. Uh, that you would restore him fully to health uh, for his family as they uh, gather around and are with him. Uh, We pray for others in our church who have physical ailments as well, uh, that, God, you would be their healer and their strength in the midst of the difficult times, in the midst of the pain. uh, They would somehow uh, be drawn deeper into their relationship with you. Father, we thank you that in the midst of catastrophe and devastation of a storm and hurricane, Uh, You bring such good out of it in the ministry now that we have had with Reach Global and especially with Anastasia and with Nelson as they've been with us for these these months, uh, serving alongside, singing and leading, and just being a part of our family here as they go. Uh, Father, would they be well sent in prayers and in covering into this new phase of their lives in ministry and service. Uh, Protect them and keep them, we pray, and would uh, our reunions over the course of years be sweet uh, as we look back on these days and look forward to days to come. And now, would you bless your word as it is open to us by your spirit, that we would listen, that we would hear. To Christ be the glory. Amen. We approach this psalm in different ways. Psalm 139 is a very familiar psalm uh, within the Psalter. 
For some, you approach it from the vantage point of being uh, the quintessential or watershed of passage and verses uh, for uh, the belief that all of life is precious to the Lord, the unborn to the born, uh, and that God has wonderfully knitted uh, us together, and therefore it becomes the passage of Scripture that we go to, rightfully so, uh, in a pro-life, sanctity of life position uh, of saying that all of life, uh, even that of the unborn child, is cared for and intricately and wonderfully formed by God, therefore deserving uh, of the freedom and the ability to be born and to live uh, its life, his or her life. And so that's a right passage. So you think of Psalm 139, that's the thought that you have. Oh, it's the psalm uh, about uh, life and about the sanctity of life. Others of you approach the psalm through uh, the last verse, verses 23 and 24. That you view it from a place of prayer, of intimacy, that God is searching, that it's the invitation for God to search you and to know you. And you've been taught that this is that prayer of really knowing God and God knowing you. And that's a right version of that and a right application of that truth to pray that God would search us, know us, lead us in his way. But both of those don't do justice to the full passage of Scripture. And so that's one of the things that when you approach Scripture, that you allow Scripture to approach you versus you approaching Scripture and needing it to say something. It is, again, correct in those uh, applications that I just mentioned. But David wants to say, know that this is a psalm of David, directed and written by David, to be sung within the context of the church. That's why we put it to music. That's why uh, we spend time uh, knowing it in that way. But David had more to say than simply a position of pro-life or a position of prayer. He was saying there's something about the knowledge of God, the full knowledge of the fullness of who God is, not a part of God, but in a totality of who God is, a completeness of knowing God uh, that is important for the believer, for the follower of Christ. And so we're going to see four things uh, this morning, and I want you to catch the prepositional change within each of these four uh, statements, uh, that there is the threatening by God, that he begins with a threatening by God, that he's being threatened in some sense. Then then there's an intimacy uh, of God. There's an intimacy of God that he begins to experience and understand, which then leads him to a jealousy for God, that there is the threatening by God, the intimacy of God, uh, the jealousy for God, and then finally an invitation to God, that he ends it with an invitation. And so we're going to begin with the threatening by God. Oh Lord, you've searched me, you've known me, you know when I sit down, you know when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. He, he goes through these first 12 verses, and you could even include verses 13 uh, through 16, if you would, uh, of this sense of, of the totality of who God is. For much of my life, even up until uh, the last couple of weeks as I was looking at this passage, I approached these first verses as incredibly comforting. Where can I go from your presence? If I go on the wings of the dawn, thou art there. If I go into the depths of Sheol, thou art there. If I go to the east, uh, up where uh, the sun rises, thou art there. If I was to flee over the ocean to the west, thou art there. You've hemmed me in for front and before and covered me over. You know my thoughts before I even think them. You intricately wove me in my mother's womb. Uh, You know everything about me. The days of my life are planned. There is such an intimacy and a wonderfulness uh, and a a comfort 
that comes in that knowledge. And David was expressing that, but he was expressing something more than that. Because what David was dealing with here and what he is introducing us to, who he is introducing us to, is this all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God. A God who knows everything. Everything. He knows everything about you. Every thought that you've ever had, every emotion that you've ever experienced, every motive that you uh, have in your life. When you design to do something, He knows your very motive. He knows every action that you've ever done. And I just simply ask you a question, is that comforting or discomforting to you? There's a sense in which it's incredibly discomforting. He knows everything, what you're about to think. Yep, we already knew that. What you just thought. How would you feel if I came into possession? Well, let me, let me go this way. Amazon is promoting Alexa, this wonderful little thing that you plug in and you set on a table or something in your house. And Alexa's there and you're able to say to Alexa, Alexa, turn the lights on. Alexa somehow turns the lights on. Alexa, play uh, Steely Dan for me. That's a band, younger people, that you should listen to. Uh, play Steely Dan for me. Uh, and they play Steely Dan. Or order uh, potato chips for me. And all of a sudden in two days on Prime, potato chips show up at your front door. It's a pretty cool thing, except for this. You realize Alexa's always listening. I'm not kidding. Even when she's not on, she's listening. Because you can have a conversation. I don't have Alexa in my house. Don't really want her in my house. And so uh, a friend of mine has her, and he realized that they were talking. He was talking with a friend of his about a particular subject. And then later that day and the next day, uh, on his web browser became advertisements for that, that particular product. He wasn't talking to Alexa, but she was listening to him. I've always thought, whoa. <laughs> Wouldn't that, mm. You can just go all kinds of places with that. Is that comforting for you to know that Alexa's always listening to you? Of course not. If it's not comforting that a silly little designed thing that we can turn on and off is listening to us, how much comfort do you gain that the God of the universe is always listening? Always knowing. Knows every thought that you have. Every emotion. Everything about you, every action you've ever had your entire life, anything you've done previously from this moment uh, that you're kind of not proud of in your life, that maybe other people don't know about, I got a couple of them that I don't share with you, promise, you'd never come back. You want me to be open and transparent? No, you don't. You just want to know that I need Jesus just as much as you do, because there's certain things that I look back and I go, gosh, really? Bill? And I can slough it off to being 17 or 22 or 34 or 48. (laughs) But it's not comforting sometimes to know that God knows everything. That he's all-knowing. And David says not only is he all-knowing, but he's everywhere. I I can't get away from him. He's in the morning and in the evening. He's on the west and in the east. And he hymns me in. And he's present all the time. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. He's all-powerful. He created me in my mother's womb. He's all of of this stuff. And the reason that we realize and we learn that this is threatening to David is in verse 6 and verse 7. When it says that these things are too wonderful for me, that sounds great. Oh, it's just too wonderful for me, God. That is, that's not what he says. Wonderful is this knowledge for, of, from you. It's against me. I can't take it is really what he's saying. It's too much. 
I can't deal with you. You're too large. You're too immense. You're too big. You're all-knowing. You're all-present. You're all-powerful. When I consider you, it overwhelms my faculties. God, you're threatening to me. Tone it down. You're too much. Can't you be sort of knowing and sort of present and sort of powerful? I can more manage you that way. But when I come and consider you in the totality and the full eclipse of who you are, it overwhelms me. Your thoughts are too much. They're crushing to me. And the reason you know that's a proper interpretation of verse 6 is you get to verse 7. When he says this, where can I go from you? Translated in the Hebrew vernacular, how can I get away from you? The exact same language that Jonah used when he was fleeing from Nineveh. Jonah was a prophet of God, supposed to go preach to the people of Nineveh. He didn't want to go to Nineveh to preach the gospel to them, so he got on a boat, and he was going to flee from the very presence of God. All of a sudden, bad things started happening in the ocean. They're throwing cargo over. Finally, the guys on the boat and the captain go, Jonah? Jonah goes, it's me. Throw me overboard. He goes, how do you know it's you? He goes, because I've been trying to flee the presence of God. And what I'm realizing is you can never flee the presence of God. I'm trying. I'm on a boat heading across an ocean. And dadgummit, God is still here. I want to get away from Him. I want to get away from this all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God. And I can't get away from Him. Just throw me into the depths of the sea. And guess what He found out in the depths of the sea? I can't get away from Him there either. I'm in the belly of a whale. And God's there in the belly of a whale. God is everywhere and it overwhelms me and it threatens me. Do you know God that way? If you don't, then you only have a partial view of God. Most of us have moved so far over into the camp of intimacy, which we will get to in just a moment. David does. But we've moved so far into that camp, we aren't threatened at all by the very presence of God. You need to know with whom you are dealing. He is not a God to be trifled with. He is not a God who you are saying, I need just a little bit of you, sprinkle a little pixie dust of God onto your life. And He will somehow make the happier moments happier, and He'll take away the bad moments, and your knight in shining armor will roll in, or you'll become a knight in shining armor, or, or some, your knight will leave, or, or something, whatever is going to happen. Everything's going to be better if we, if we get a little bit of God. Some of you are here today just to get a little bit of God. And I'm telling you, you're not dealing with the biblical God then. Because God says, I can't give you just a little bit of me. I have to give you the totality of who I am. And where it starts is I'm the God whose voice spoke into nothing and everything came into being. Tell me I'm not powerful. Tell me that I'm not everywhere. Tell me that I don't know every bit of my creation. My thoughts are like the sand on the sea. I know them all. I'm a massive and a huge God. And when you consider me, you should shudder just a little bit. In my presence. Folks, when we get to heaven, everybody wants to go and has their list of questions for God. You know what I would love for you to do with your list of questions is set that aside for a moment. Because I have a feeling when you get to heaven and you come into the presence of the true God, the Father of all glory, that you will be amazed that you're still able to not be consumed. And you will fall and just go, Whoa! This is awesome! Yeah, I'm not really worried about the question I had for you. It seems silly in light of who you are. 
God is not to be trifled with. And David was threatened by him. David's very foundations, what he knew about God, were being shaken. I don't know why David wanted to run from him. I don't know what was going on in David's life. But David said, I can't get away from you. But then something begins to change. And it's in this part of the passage uh, in verse 13 that David all of a sudden realizes that this all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God who is threatening just by his nature. And David is like, I can't deal with you. You're too much for my faculties. I'm overwhelmed by you. Is also this incredibly loving God that there is an intimacy of God. Because what he realizes is this. You have formed me. You know me intimately. You know everything there is to know about me. And there's not one mistake that you have made in the creation of me. What a great statement. Wouldn't you love to be able to say that about yourself? Well, friends, you can. Because it's true. God says to you, I formed you. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I knew you before the foundation of time. I wonderfully, fearfully, intricately. What a great word. Intricate. Do you realize that you're intricately made? What makes you, you is intricate. It is precious. It is wonderful. It is fearful. It is amazing in the creative process of God to form you. And David says, and you know me. And that's a good thing. You know my days, as we talked about last week, that my days are set before me, that you have all of my days set for me to live. Isn't that an awesome, comforting reality that the day that you're living today is the day that God designed for only you to live? And the day that the person is living next to you is a day designed for them to live. And some reason your days are crossing and bumping into one another. And in that is God's eternal and perfect, wonderful plan. And that there's an intimacy of knowledge that someone knows you and isn't rejecting you. Isn't that your greatest fear of being known? The reason that you pose, the reason that you have masks, the reason that we create all of this stuff is because we're terrified that if someone actually knew me, and I was honest with you about really who Bill McCutcheon is, that you would reject me. I've given you so much power at that moment. But there is only one voice and only one person in all of the universe who can validate your life. And that is the voice of your Creator. And He says this about your life. It's perfect and it's wonderful and I don't make mistakes. So don't you or anybody else say that I have. How I've made you is how I've made you. And that is good enough for me. Therefore, it's good. That's why divorce is so damaging. Because what divorce is saying is the person who knows you the most walks away and rejects you. I've never experienced it, but what an experience of loss. And God is basically saying this, I know everything about you and I'm never ever going to divorce you. I'm staying faithful to my vows 
to you. Even though you won't stay very faithful to your vows to me, I'm staying faithful. And I'm married to you. And I know everything about you. And I'm staying in the game because I know you and I love you. And do you see the balance now of David? The threatening nature of God. All of a sudden, what it does is it makes the intimate part of God even more special. Because he went to the height of seeing how awesome and magnificent and stunning God is, it made the other part of God, His intimacy and His love, even sweeter. Because you realize this God who knew me doesn't reject me in Christ. This God who made me and formed me and knows me and is with me stays with me. And David realized this is the kind of God that I want to be around. At first, he was uninvited. God, you've searched me and you've known me. I didn't invite you to do that. And I'm not particularly happy that you have. But you do. And I don't like it. And I'm not sure I'm enjoying being in relationship with you. And you're in my life and it's overwhelming. But now I'm starting to see that it's a good thing that you're in my life. And I've come to a fuller knowledge of God. Folks, here's why you want to study both of these parts. Because you get to know all of who God is. Don't shortchange yourself. By only studying one facet of who God is. Look at His full economy. Look at His full character. Look at those great things and those troubling things. Look at all of it. Because when you study and you get to know all of it, you begin to fall in love with the fullness of who God is. And you are just intimately involved with Him. And you're like, this is who I'm following. This is who I'm with. This is who I am naming myself after. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower. A God follower. This is who I am. And then it leads you into the third point. A jealousy for God. Because these verses seem like a classic biblical non sequitur. Which means basically this. They have absolutely nothing to do with what just came before it. God, you're in my life. God, you're huge. God, you're everywhere. You're all-knowing. You're all-powerful. You're uh, all-loving. You're intimate. You're this. And then all of a sudden, uh, in verse 19, oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. And some of you are going, there it comes. It's Old Testament. You just got to get it. God's just this wrathful. He just loves. We've gotten rid of the word smite, and we shouldn't. It's a great biblical word. And God smote the, these, and God smitten this person. And he wants him to smite these people. And it's like, oh, this is awesome. And you go, God, I want you to slay the wicked. Men of blood depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Oh, do I hate those who hate you. I do loathe those who rise up against you. I hate them with complete hatred. I count them as my enemies. Apply that this week. Well, aren't we New Testament Christians, Bill? And we're supposed to like love our enemy and pray for them and all of that stuff. Here's what David is really saying. He's come to know this God, who God who bears a name, Lord Jehovah, Yahweh, Father. And he's come to know his greatness and his intimacy and all of his parts. And all of a sudden, another translation puts it this way. God, if only you would kill the wicked, you bloodthirsty men, stay away from me. You who you uh, who invoke your name, God, deceitfully, who swear by you falsely. He's saying this, I've come to know this God. And I'm in love with this God. And I'm a follower of this God. And I'm willing to give my very life for this God. And all that who He is. And I look around the world and you take His name lightly. You claim to be a Christian and you use it for your own benefit. 
But yet you diminish this glorious name. You are wicked and deceitful. And I am against you because you are using lightly the name that should never be taken lightly. You bear it with such pretense. You throw around that you're a follower of Christ, David would say. And yet you're not. You put your little ichthus, your little symbol on your car. You put your little fish on your business card and then you work with no scruples. You have no integrity. And yet you call the name of God to bear on your life. David has a jealousy for the name of God. A man after God's own heart. And God's own heart was a God who had a heart that said this, I will share my glory with no other. My name will not be diminished. And so what he's saying is this, Go to Young Life. Go to youth group. Go to FCA. Go to college and RUF. Go to all of those things. But please, for all of that, do not stand and raise hands before God and say how much you love Christ and walk directly out of there to five points and get hammered and go sleep with your boyfriend or your girlfriend and go and cheat on your exams and all of that while saying, I love Jesus. Or in an adult context to come here and raise your hands and to say you love God and I'm all a follower of Jesus and everyone else looks around and goes, that person has the worst business acumen and worst business reputation in our community. When I was in Highlands in Cashworth, North Carolina as a pastor, we needed a, a someone to come and to renovate our basement. And I was in the local coffee store and I was talking to some folks who weren't church people and I said, who's the best uh, you know, renovation guy around I said, well, I can tell you, don't get any of the folks who have that little fish on their card. I said, why not? They said, they'll take you for every dime. I thought, what a shame. They bear the name of Christ and the wicked mock Him because of them. Oh, that God would shut down their businesses. Oh, that God would bring them to their knees. Oh, that God would slay, as it were, figuratively speaking, the wicked. That the name of God bearing on my life means something. I could care less about Facebook or Instagram or any of that stuff. I really could. But I will say this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you place on there that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, please, for Christ's sake and the name's sake, be careful of what you put on your thing. Be careful of what you say. Be careful of how you speak. Because you bear this name. I look at my family. I look at my father. He was a man, truly a man without guile. A man of integrity. A man who loved the church. A man who loved Christ. A man who worked for his reputation and the reputation of our family. A man who worked his whole life with dignity and honor and pride within the church. And if I heard somebody taking Bill McCutcheon's name and using it for their own personal gain in a way that would bring dishonor to the church of Jesus Christ, I would be angry with them. Because I know my dad. And no one gets to take his beautiful name and run it through the mud for their own selfish gain. And you would do the same for someone that you love, right? How much more should we do it for the name of our Father in heaven? Do you see the movement of David? God, you're awesome. You're threatening. You're overwhelming me. But you're also my loving and intimate God. 
But I become passionate about your name, and I do not want to see your name taken lightly. What the world needs is Christians to take the name of God more seriously, not less. To stand for what's right. To do what's right in a loving way. To say, this is a name that I bear. So David had a threatening by God, which led to an intimacy of God, which led him to a jealousy for God. Are you jealous for God? Are you jealous for his church? Those of you who are members of this church, you took vows, and one of your vows is for the peace and the purity of the church, the bride. Christ married the church, as it were. I take very seriously that vow. And when I see those within the church working to hurt the church, it wounds me and angers me all at the same time. And I can't say it's always a righteous anger, but it is an anger that wells up to go, do not, do not diminish the beauty of the bride for your own sake. That's where David was. And then David moved in this relationship, in this movement, to an incredibly challenging thing. It was an invitation that he made to God. At the beginning, it said, God, you've searched me and you know me. You were uninvited, but you did it anyway because you're God. Now, I want you to. Folks have said that this is the most dangerous prayer that you can ever pray. So be careful. Because remember who you're letting in. Think about it, whom it is that you are inviting in to look at your life. The all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, all-loving God of the universe, holy, righteous, powerful, loving, intimate, the fullness of Him. You're saying, zero in. Take a look down at the very marrow level of my soul. See if there be any way in me. Not a very comfortable prayer, is it? But David said, I think part of his motivation was this. I don't want to be like those guys I just talked about. I want to have a life of integrity and, and I want to have a, a position in the world where people see me. And yes, I will fail. And yes, I will mess up. But what they will see is that I am pursuing you, God, with all of who I am. That I know that I can't run from you. Teenagers who are heading off to college, God's there. He's on your college campus. Those of you who travel on business, God's there. He knows what you do in private, your business trips, what we do in private and where we are. He knows everything. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all of this. And David says, I want you to come and investigate my life. He shifted how do you think he shifted? Well, I think it's this. David realized, God, I've come to know who you are, and your thoughts are precious to me. I want you to look at my life, because you can discern it better than anyone else can, and your thoughts are precious to me. They're worthy. They're valuable. They're of immense wealth, and I want you to look in. I want you to take an inventory. I want you to try me, he says. Now what that means is that's a, that's a legal standard. You're going to lay all of my actions, all of my motives. You ever thought about a motive level? He, he's dealing at a motive level. 
He's dealing at the very psyche level of who you are. Emotions, all of that. And people say all the time, well, it's just my emotions. That's just how I feel. I'm like, really? That's your defense? Is it possible that your feelings are tied to a sinful, broken heart? And therefore, you not only need to repent of your actions, but of your feelings? And God's going down deep in. He says, try me, know me, hold these things up and see if there be any deceiving, deceitful way in me, detestable things in me, and then bring them into light. Why? So that I can feel badly about myself? Of course not. So that I can deal with them. So that I can repent and turn from them. And some of you are going, that is too overwhelming. There is no way. There's no way. I would ever do that. There's no way I'm unleashing the God of the universe into this soul. Because I know what He'll find and I can't handle it. Folks, this is where Jesus comes into play. What Jesus is saying to you today is this. Of course you can't handle my Father alone, but you can handle Him with me. Accept me into your life. And then when my Father does a full searching and He finds all of these things, that I, your elder brother, am there with you and for you and I mitigate my Father and I bring my Father into relationship with you in such a way that He says, oh my goodness, McCutcheon, I found this out about you. And Jesus goes, yeah, this scar, got that one. But what about this? That one too. Everything in its totality, our elder brother who is there is saying to you, do not deal with my Father without me. Some of you want to deal with God on your own terms, and Jesus is saying that's a very, very poor move. That is unwise at its very heart. You can't deal with Dad. But I can. And I can stand in your place if you let me. If you invite me in. And then we'll search. And then you can be honest. How many of you have something in your life that which you still hold shame or contempt about? That there's something, you just feel shame. Some of you do. And if you're feeling that way, you're not about to let it out. I know someone, a friend, who repents of the same sin for 50 years every day. It brings her such shame that how could a 16-year-old girl make that decision? How could God ever forgive her? And Christ is saying, let my Father come in and search out and find that and let me take it from you. You've held it long enough. Let me do it for you. But you've got to let me in. You've got to let me in to do that. Folks, some of you have been running a long time. You were so worn out from being on your ships and the seas and they're bouncing around and you've jettisoned off every bit of cargo going back to this sort of Jonah picture. You've thrown off everything. You're throwing off some cargo of this kind of sinful nature and you've got rid of the smoking. You've got rid of the drinking. You've got rid of the girls. and You've got rid of the guys and you got rid of this and you're doing all your works and all your works and all your works. And what God is trying to do is finally bring you to the end of yourself where all you've got is him. And he's saying, quit running. And be found by me. Would you allow God to find you today? And then allow him to introduce himself in all of his fullness. That will overwhelm and comfort all at the same time. What an amazing God. Let's pray. Father, we don't know what to do with you. We like the configurations in our own minds that we make a God who is great, but not so great that we can't manage Him. 
that we want a God who is awesome but not too awesome, who knows us but not so much that it's uncomfortable. But Lord, our prayer today shifts and we say we want you in all of your fullness and all the totality of who you are, that we want to be overwhelmed by you, threatened by you, drawn into deeper intimacy with you, passionate for your name, not satisfied with just saying we love Jesus, but that our lives are marked by that love. And so we invite you to come in. And for some here today praying that prayer, it's for the first time. And I pray, Christ, that you would enter in and that you, by your loving, caring nature, would do an inventory of their house, of their heart. And then you would wipe it clean with your blood. And you would care for them and heal wounds and shame and self-contempt of years. And you would free them from that bondage. And they would be able to go, as the scriptures say, and dance like a deer in the presence of king. To dance without being held back. Knowing that there's a freedom that now comes from being fully known and not rejected. Father, would you do your work? For others who are still trying to deal with you on their own terms, would you bring them to the end of themselves? And that is a dangerous prayer as well. So would you strip away all the things for which they are calling for life and would they find you? And then would that be a sweet and incredible and troubling and devastating day? But in it, would they know that you are good and a place of refuge? All I have is Christ. There is nothing else that I have. That I praise the name of the Lord, my God. And I will praise your name forever. For endless days we will sing your praise. O Lord, O Lord our God. Amen. Let's stand and sing.